Welcome to 33 Tangents, a weekly podcast featuring a rotating panel of co-hosts that all work together in the same company, but live in different areas of the world. The discussions cover a wide variety of topics from digital analytics to working remotely to current happenings in business and technology. Our regular day-to-day conversations often go off in various directions, and the goal of this podcast is to share our ideas and find new ways to engage with others. I uh, was listening to an episode of Q last night on NPR with the guy that does the voiceovers from the movies, and mm-hmm. and, and now I want to be that guy. Oh, I've always wanted to be that guy. <laughs> Such a cool job. In a world where podcasts have taken over. And and believe it or not, it's probably not hard to believe. That was... Uh, a segment of, of the interview, they talked about the whole in the world thing and where that came yeah. from and why it's fallen out of style. And <laughs> that, that kind of uh, helped define his, his style in a land, <laughs> in a world, in a time. Anyway, good stuff. People question any kind of data. A new person comes along to restore the faith. John, are you alive? I'm, I'm alive. I'm just choosing not to contribute. <laughs> no, <just kidding laughs> Why? What? <laughs> some some close followers of ours may realize we have a lot of J names, but I don't know if we ever commented on that fact. Right. I think a few people have picked up on it, but not. But we've never talked about it. Five five employees, four with their names that start with a J. Yeah. But you you know what's funny? This has not been the first time this happened to me. Um, all J names. Do you seek out companies with based on employee? First no, names? no, no. It was just something that happened organically. There was a Jim, a James, a John, a Judy. Um, I think is there anybody else on black? Yeah. Uh, there was a Jason as well. So. There's always there's always a Jason. 1970s, early 80s, everybody was named Jason. <laughs> In fact, um, my 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 name is so unique. I know that this might be hard to to believe, but I I was over at uh, a sushi restaurant here, and they were looking at my VIP card. Um, based on my credit card, and they're like, We're, "There's three Jason Thompsons in the system. W- which one is you?" And I'm like, "That's that's surprising because there's only five Jason Thompsons that live in the county. I know because sometimes I get calls for them, and I'm like, I have no idea. One of them works for the city in the town <laughs> next to me, and so I'm always getting these random calls about, "Hey, can you bring your tractor over?" And I'm like, "I wish I could because that sounds like really really fun, but wrong, <laughs> wrong guy." So 60% of all Jasons in your county frequent the same sushi restaurant. Apparently. You guys I mean, should it is, try it is to good. meet up and have sushi yeah, together. I, I, I was thinking that might be interesting, but then I'd probably be disappointed that they're not as cool as I as I imagine in my head. No offense to the other Jason Thompson's yeah, listening. No, no offense. And the only wait, yeah, and there was actually a couple athletes. I know I remember growing up there was a pitcher, I think, for the Pittsburgh Pirates, and then uh, more recently there's an NBA player. 
So like if, you know, if you try to Google my name, it's like, here's a bunch of athletes. So I'm not only super common, but you know, there's a, a couple of famous athletes that share my name. So I have, I have no hope. I think there might be a soap opera actor too. I don't know. I don't know. Oh, that's hysterical. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, I, I'm sure, I'm sure this is making for riveting podcast material. Yeah. I but I, I do want to say like there, there is a PGA tour player. Uh, by the name of James Driscoll. Okay, well, there you go. So if you Google me, you're going to get uh, his latest tour stats. And 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 to, to make everybody feel included, I don't know any other John Narong, so... I believe I'm the only one. I'm sure. It's, it's not too common. I have to be extremely careful online. <laughs> yes. All right, what are we... Uh... What are we chatting about today, fellas? Someone's favorite topic. It's my it's my favorite oh, topic. I, it I, is I, your favorite I, topic. I teased it, but it is Jason's favorite topic. I think we should just make Jason guess the topic. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know, but I was just googling, and there is a Canadian actor named Jason Craig Thompson, and he does. Uh, I think he does daytime <laughs> dramas. He was on uh, General Hospital, Young and the Restless. Our segue to the actual topic is favorite. okay. Sorry, there you go. I'm, <laughs> I'm sorry. We're we're back. We're we're back. What's our What's my favorite topic? So the favorite topic, and this actually came up um, via a Twitter conversation last week that you were having with a few others. Um, today, um, let's talk about uh, consulting billing structures or billing methodologies or contract structures, however you want to word it. So um, as we've talked internally, and Jason, this has been something you've talked with many, many people about, the traditional agency or consulting billing model is you know, by hourly project or retainer. The firm estimates the number of hours a client will need based on what is learned in the sales process. And that is ultimately what the consultant who is assigned to it has to work with. If the estimate is wrong uh, and the number of the hours estimated is hit, the project is either stopped, whether it's actually you know finished or not, um, or the client uh, is billed in some form or other you know for for the overage. Um, you know we here at Thirty Three Sticks do it differently, where the client is billed based on the value of what is to be delivered, not the actual spent hours spent to get it done. Um, so that's what we're going to talk about today. So where I'd like to start with is Jason, hand it over to you to discuss, you know, the origin of this model specifically for 33 sticks. And then we'll jump in and start comparing it to the hours model, the traditional model. And then I'd like to discuss the, the pros and cons of each. Yes, this is a topic that I am passionate about and could talk for, for hours about, um, and, and let me just put a disclaimer on it because anytime I bring this up and, and look to have this discussion, I always get feedback from people that, well, that's not the only way. And, and I completely agree. So, so let me put a, an asterisk on this to say that there are many billing models from a services company perspective. You need to find the one that, that works for you. This is the one that I'm passionate about, and I think based on what we're building and what we're trying to achieve, it works for us. But there are cons. 
but we believe that the pros far outweigh those cons, and that's why we've we've chosen that. And it's it's for many different reasons, and and we'll get into that. But uh, to give you a little bit of the history, I think I have to go back a ways to when I first got into consulting back in two thousand four or five uh, at at Omniture. So my my first real job uh, in consulting was at Omniture on the implementation team. Uh, this was the team that when a client purchased the software, they were assigned a consultant from Omniture to help configure and deploy the solution. We were a bunch of really smart, but very inexperienced and really lacking leadership group of, of people. And we were tasked from our upper management team to A, make sure the, the client was happy. That was our primary goal. And B, get them up and running as quickly as possible and help show them value of why they, they purchased Omniture in the first place. And because of that, we didn't have any structure. There was no billable hour. There was no billable anything. Um, you know, our time simply came with them purchasing the, the product from the company. And that worked in a way in that we were fully dedicated to the client's success and creating value for for the client. In the long run, that's obviously very, very difficult to maintain any kind of profitability and scale. So as Omniture was growing up and getting bigger, that worked in the early days. We were totally focused on value. I think the company was willing to eat some profitability, although I was never high enough to have any kind of sense of what those strategic discussions were. But my sense is the company was willing to eat some profitability in order to create a very, very strong and referenceable client base. At, at some point in time, someone smarter than me made the decision that, you know, this this can't continue to scale this way. As the company grows, we have to put some kind of parameters on, on how we do consulting because we simply can't have an open-ended, hey, you can use as much of Jason's time as you possibly want. And if you want to make him your full-time employee, that's great. And that's great for the company you're working for um, from a consulting perspective. But I was carrying 20 to 25 clients at a time. So if if 20 of those companies wanted to make me their full-time employee, there's, there's just no way. And I'm going to burn out really quickly. So the decision was made that we were going to transition to an hourly model. We were going to change our services from a uh, complimentary service to a service that was purchased by clients. They could purchase hours of our time. And that was my first real exposure to the hourly model. And I instantly didn't like it. And to be fair, it was a massive change from the Wild West and having no controls and just doing what was right for the client to now being very tightly controlled by hours. It was my first exposure to the dreaded timesheets uh, where I had to account for every half hour of my time spent throughout the day, um, which was horrendous and I, it still makes me cringe to this day. But it's a, it's a mainstay of hourly consulting because you need to be able to document it because there are times, and this happened multiple times, when I was at Omniture, where a client will come back and say, I don't believe Jason worked for me five hours last week. Can you give me a full accounting of what he did? And if you weren't prepared to do that and you had to fake it, it was not a good place to be. So 
speeding up, I spent time at at other consultancies, and I kind of rose up in my level of influence within those those agencies. And we continue to do the billable hour model. It's a proven model that, from an agency perspective, it works. Uh, you can be highly profitable doing it. But I started to see a problem, and there were there were a couple problems. Number one, um, as we were getting collectively smarter as an agency our profitability began to go down because we were able to do things faster, more efficiently. We found ways to do things that we could automate some of the things that didn't make sense for us to do. And we could spend time on more high value type of tasks. Yet the corresponding rates that we were getting in return in most hourly agencies in our space, at least charge what's called a blended rate. So if you have a high-end principal and a first-year college grad, you take their two rates that they could bill and you average them out and say, okay, we're going to give you a blended rate, which is an average of all of the people that may touch your, your account. And it became very difficult to scale our revenues uh, as we were becoming more efficient. And I'll come back to that later in the conversation because I don't want to hog all of the first uh, intro period here. I want you guys to jump in as well. Um, but that created some very negative outputs um, and some that bordered on things that you don't want to get close to the line on. And we can kind of go into that in a bit. Um, but more importantly than that, what my concern was is that we weren't focused on what was the most important in my mind. And that was the value that we were generating for our clients. All of our conversations were about how can we improve our billable hours? How can we improve our efficiency rates? How can we improve our uh, time that we're billing versus time that we're, we're not? And, and at some point in time, I raised my hand and said, why aren't we talking about how can we create more value for our customers? And to me, that's when it really crystallized this tie between billable hours and value. And to me, and again, I, you know, I want to caveat this, that there are companies out there that are doing billable hours. I have, you know, attorneys and people that help with my taxes that bill by the hour and they do a fantastic job. So please don't send me your hate mail or, you know, attack me on Twitter that, that, you know, this is the wrong approach. I know there are companies out there doing the billable hour model thing and it's, it's working. But for me, I saw a very real disconnect um, in that our goal as a company was to bill more hours, but that really wasn't what was best for our clients. What was best for our clients was to get things done faster, more efficiently, and at a higher quality. And the faster we could get things done, the more valuable that was to the client. Because if I can give you a recommendation this week that's going to make you an extra half million dollars, if you take the whole time value of money thing into consideration, it's better for you to get that recommendation this week than it is three weeks from now. But as a consulting company, that was actually having the opposite effect on us. The faster I gave it to you, the less profitable we were. And so there was this huge disconnect that I began wrangling with. And as I started thinking about how we wanted to do things differently and in my previous company started toying around with the value-based model, I knew instantly 
that it was it was going to work, um, but didn't have the opportunity to put it in play a hundred percent of the time until we started up 33 sticks. So I'm sorry for that long rant. Again, I could probably talk for two or three hours uninterrupted on this topic, but you know, I'm, this needs to be a conversation and I'm sure people want to hear from others other than just myself. No, no, no. All good. Um, and you know, it, it, it's great to hear that, that kind of detail because if I kind of go into my history with it, you know, or, you know, with billing, it, it, it's always historically been, you know, th- th- that hours model. Um, you know, at one point I was the one estimating the projects and then sending them off to finance to actually get, you know, the, the full estimate back. So putting in, you know, like, okay, we're going to need X number of hours from an architect here. We're going to need X number of hours from, you know, the associate implementation engineer, yada, yada, yada. Um, you know, uh, so much so that Jason, when you and I first really started talking, um about me joining the team three years ago like that my first question was is how do you estimate how are you profitable uh how how do you just plan capacity uh, and not bury people because you know the one of the the things with that hourly model in a consulting firm it's like okay the this project um is a short 40-hour project so over the next eight weeks, you're going to spend five hours a week on it. And that, that that's what you're going to do. And you'll be done in eight weeks. It, it makes things easier. And I'm, I'm definitely jumping the gun. And we're definitely going to dig into some of the pros and cons and comparisons. But those were some of my first questions when you and I had uh, you know, started talking back in like June of uh, 2015. Yeah. And that's, that's really one of the biggest challenges is how do you structure your your work and remain profitable it's it is by far i think the most challenging thing and we're five and a half years into this experiment at 33 sticks and overall i think it's wildly successful but we're still struggling with that you know you and i jim had this conversation yesterday about how do we continue to refine that approach and process? Because it is when you come from a background of services and you have a strictly defined budget, you have 20 hours to work on this project. You can manage that, right? I'm going to work four hours today. I'm going to work five hours tomorrow. Like it's, it's much easier to manage that time because it's a finite amount of time that you're managing towards when you're told, Hey Jim, we have this new project and we're, trying to make client X more successful. They've purchased Adobe analytics and audience manager and target. And we need to figure out how to make all those things work together. Uh, And, and here's, you know, that should be 30% of your time. Go, go do it. That's a lot harder to, to figure out. Um, But it's again, in, in my mind, it's worth the struggle to figure that out for all the pros that are involved. And we can continue to go into that, but Uh, One of the biggest things for me, aside from the obvious, which I talked about, which was we need to make sure we're we're generating and doing what is best for our clients, that's going to sustain any company, was if we're going to do that, we need to find really, really amazing people like Jim, like John, that are going to stick around, not for six months, not for a year, but for an extended period of time. You know, our, our model isn't a burn and churn model, which most consultancies are where they get, you know, folks in that are 
all scales of the spectrum from a, an experience perspective and they they burn them as hard as they can as long as they can they burn out and then they 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 replace them that is not our model here and in order for that to be successful we had to come up with a model that was not going to burn our employees out and for me the number one factor of burnout from a services perspective was always on, I had this constant weight over my head that if I was not billing 37.5 hours every single week, that I was not performing. And I, you know, I couldn't live up to that bar every single week. And that starts to introduce some real ethical questions in your mind. Do I start fudging my timesheets so I don't get in trouble? So I'm not the one that's pulling down our profitability. It gets really dangerous really, really quickly. And and honestly, you, you know, as you get more seasoned in your career, you just don't want to work in an environment like that. Again, speaking for myself, I'm sure there are principal consultants that love and are thriving in that hourly model. But for me, it was a recipe for, for instant burnout. And so I wanted to create something the opposite of that so that we could attract and retain high end talent and, and not just burn them out as, as, you know, as we went along. Mm -hmm. And to that point, I've actually got two stories that, that relate to, to that exact thing. So one of the things you just mentioned there about fudging the numbers, there was one organization I worked for where billability and utilization, where that was on everybody's mind. It was constantly shoved down everybody's throats so much so that your quarterly goals were to be X number of, you know, have an X uh, billability percentage and a Y utilization percentage. I mean, it was written into your goals and I'm like, you know, you know, part of me is like, well, th this is the metric. If, if everyone's doing their job, right, these metrics should be met. Uh, the metric, it, you know, it, it's not the goal. The metric should not be the goal. The metric is the measurement of the goal, you know, yada, yada, yada. Um, and I'm like, then I'm like, I also started thinking, are you actually getting a, a, a true, you know, a, a, a true number here. Are we actually billing something correctly? Because you're putting the the way the goal or the way the metric is generated in the hands of the person. So if, if I'm just having a rough week and there's nothing going on and, you know, my boss is down, you know, uh, uh, crawling up my back uh, where, you know, as far as like my billability goes, you just go in, find some projects and bill a little bit here, a little bit there. So you don't, you don't pop up on the radar necessarily um, you know, as far as overbilling a project, but you know, like I built half an hour here, half an hour there, or, okay, I spent an hour on this, but I'm actually going to build two hours um, to, to, to fudge my numbers. And it was, it was definitely a concern of mine. I'm like, is this actually accurate? Because that's going to happen. Um, and then, you know, within that organization, there was one point, one of uh, one of the guys on my team, he got married. So like every week they were looking at billability and utilization. And then, you know, at the end of the month, they would look at the whole month. Well, he was getting married and he was out for two weeks, took a couple of days off, you know, leading up to the wedding. And then they went on, you know, like a 10 day honeymoon. And I mean, this was a guy, he was always working. I mean, th this guy, you know, he, by, by their, their standards, he was one of the top performers and, you know, just in general, he was a top performer in general, but by those metrics, he definitely was. And of course, he's out for those two weeks, so he's on vacation, and the numbers dip a bit. And you know, I, I get called into the office to to explain. I'm like, 
the guy got married. Yeah, but his numbers are down. I'm like, his numbers are never down. Uh, he got married. This is a once in a lifetime thing. Cut him some slack. Wow. <laughs> I just don't know how to respond. It's amazing. And that's why I'm starting to uh, get a complex. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, being out of the office, do you not understand? <laughs> no, but it's, it's 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 very real, right? That when when that number is your focus, that is what you're you're driving the organization by, and it's very difficult to look at at anything else. And and one of the other things that was important to me from the the value based model was I get this question asked a lot by prospects. They say how do you guys keep up with what's going on there? There's so much to keep up with just within this small industry. But in order to be really good consultants, you have to have a much broader set of experiences. So how are you constantly learning? And I love that I'm asked that question because it gives me an opportunity to talk about this topic, which I, again, I'm deeply passionate about is that we, because we don't have this billable hour model and because we're not holding each, uh, employee to 37 and a half hours billable each week, we have the opportunity to set aside non-client time, which I've talked with everybody that has come into 33 sticks about the importance of, um, that we can have that. And we had that, I've had that in every consultancy in the past, but it's different. You know, once I've got my 37 and a half hours in the last thing I want to do is spend more work time. I just, I'm done. I'm burned out. And, and so even though you technically have a couple, two to three hours a week, technically where you can do non-client type work, the last thing you want to do is like, okay, what do I want to learn new this week? No, it's like, I'm done guys. You know, give me a break. I'll see you next week. But with this model, we, we're not under that pressure and we can constantly do things, whether it's side projects we work on or, you know, with John, I know there's there's several areas that he's deeply fascinated about. It's like, you know, we want to go research a topic or, you know, listen to a webinar or put a new set of code into practice. We can do that. And that's what I think keeps us fresh and up to date. It keeps us from burning out. It makes us more valuable consultants. But in the typical hourly model, it's really difficult to to have that 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 freedom. Um, so you know there's there's tons of there's tons of pros, whether it's being able to go away on a, a much needed vacation for for 10 days or taking some time each week to do things that are not directly billable. You know, we can go on and on and on. And again, in my mind, that list just grows and grows and grows and far outweighs the the few cons, which we touched on one, the difficulty of managing towards a budget um, all, all, all day long. So anyway, John, we've we've uh, we've kept you quiet. I'd love for you to jump in and share your thoughts. Your monologue was giving me shivers uh, uh, with many memories from from times ago. But um, yeah, yeah, no, it, <laughs> no, they're they're. I guess without, you know, re-saying what you said, um, I was thinking, I mean, I think we've been talking about this from the, the administrative level, but um, there's some interesting pros and cons that come up too when you think of it from the practitioner level, like from the consultant level as well. I mean, when you're not billing hourly, there's just a lot less overhead you have to worry about, which I consider a, a complete pro. I mean... Um, in the sense that 
with hourly, you're obviously tracking hours and that task in itself wastes a lot of time. I felt like, um, I, so much time goes into, you know, tracking, you know, in many cases you're tracking down to the 15 minutes of, of what you're, what you're doing throughout your day. You're tabulating those at the end of the, um, reporting cycles. Uh, there's, you know, additional paperwork when you're running low on hours with the client. And then there's all kinds of conversations that happen, uh, you know, additional sales talks. There's just a lot of extra overhead that you don't have to worry about when you're not thinking about it hourly. Um, so, I mean, that to me is, is a huge, um, advantage, uh, working this way as, as a practitioner. It's it's true. I had a standing repeatable block in my timesheets that I think was an hour and a half every week that I that I noted time spent tracking time and submitting timesheets. So there you go. Which sounds funny, but it's it's really wasted time in the sense that you could be using that hour and a half to you know solve actual client problems or uh, you know other important uh, matters. So, yeah, yeah that's, that's definitely one. Um, I would say, uh, you know, similarly, I think that the, one of the challenges I always face or, um, and I think it was, it was, I was something I was more scared of when we, when I first started working this way, I think I might've been one of the more reluctant ones to this model, actually. Uh, if you remember when, when we started, I just didn't understand how it could work because, uh, even though we might not be billing hourly, it's it's for things to be scoped. It's like we still have to realize how many hours we're spending on it to some degree, uh, or else you know we could easily take on way too much work or whatnot. Uh, and I think there is some measure of uh, like an arbitrary bucket of time, maybe similar to hours or not. You know, I mean, we consider it our kind of our capacity percent percentage, but there needs to be some sort of estimation that happens, obviously, and. I think related to that, uh, th this model definitely does rely on a lot more trust with between our clients and uh, you know ourselves, the the agency, uh, and it's it's definitely a two way two way streak. Um, I think it's honestly probably been tested a little bit uh, in mm -hmm. the past, yes. uh, you know, where unintentionally probably. Uh, you know, it's easy because this model is very flexible. It's easy to kind of push the boundaries of, of what can be delivered. And when you're not tracking hours, you know, these small little additions that we do don't necessarily uh, knock against that, that, that uh, hourglass of time passing. So there, there's definitely the, the trust of not, uh, you know, like just, leveraging us in a in a way that's relatively proportionate to to the contract um and yeah i mean the other way around too is that we're 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 i mean the trust that the client puts on us to that we are doing the work um that we're signed up to do without having to kind of regularly report on the, the individual tasks and how much time they t they took to take uh, so that's oh man, you've you've brought up so you've brought up so many good points. Yeah, <laughs> no, I mean that that trust thing. So I, <laughs> yeah, so I'll I'll let you take it. But yeah, I was just thinking about those those main main ideas really. 
No, those are those are excellent points. And going back to your first one, which I think you touched on, was the the fact that there are still hours, right? We still have hours in in a day. And uh, for anyone listening, I don't want to put the message out that we've never discussed that. Um, obviously, we do, right? You can only do so much in a given time. We're not asking employees to work twenty four hours a day. And even if we did, you know, there's only so many. Uh, projects that you can fit into into that. So there there is a sense of hours that you're working and your overall capacity. And and we do use that as part of our planning process. But the difference is, is number one, we never expose that to our clients. That's not what they're buying from us. Um, and we don't use it as the primary driver or measure for how we operate. It's just a, another metric that we use to incorporate into how we manage everything else. And I think that's the big differentiator where you're at an hourly model. The majority of agencies that use an hourly model, that is the absolute driver of how the entire business relationship, everything works for us. It's just another complementary metric that we use in a much larger discussion. Um, and so that's, I think the, the main differences there. I think the second thing that you brought up was, oh no, I'm going to forget it. I mean about trust was the the main thing. Trust. Yes, absolutely. It's such an important topic and it's important to note that this model only works if you're somewhat selective. And by that, I mean, if your goal is to win every project and um, be a high volume business, I think it's going to be very, very difficult to deploy this type of a model. I think you'll, you'll really struggle primarily because you need to be very, very picky in the types of clients that you work with for, for this to work. Because to your point, John, the way that our contracts are are worded, the way that we're set up um, by design to be very open-ended and flexible could easily, easily be taken advantage of by a client and also could be taken advantage of by, um, by us in that we could perhaps half-ass it and still technically fulfill the terms of the contract. And so there is a tremendous amount of trust both ways that we are going to deliver and we're going to deliver something that's not tangible as in John worked five hours this week, but it's something that is very real from a deliverable value perspective. And I'll come back to that because I think that was your third point. But that level of trust is is so important um, and being able to find and bring on the right clients is what makes it work. Uh, And the way that I view it is, is that we are giving a service that is very much desired and needed. And the client does not want to put that into question because they don't want to put the relationship at risk where we would no longer be providing that service. And on the flip side, it's up to us to ensure that we're highly focused on driving value for our clients because we never want them to question the value that we're providing for them because that's what they're measuring us by and to stop doing business with us. So it's this two-way street, as you mentioned, where we're we're both highly uh, invested in the relationship. And to the point, and I'm, I won't call out any clients by, by name, but I've had multiple people call me up through the years and say things like, Hey, Jason, I just want to check in with you. I just got a sense that maybe we're abusing your time a little bit. 
And I want to be really, really careful there. If we ever get close to like, you know, pushing that where it shouldn't be, please let me know. I don't want to be taking advantage of your time. We have, you know, this agreed upon scope that we're working in and, you know, let's never get close to that. And, and when it first happened, it blew me away. I'm like, what, where is this coming from? I would imagine that every client would want to push it to the limit and maybe even step over it because they want to squeeze the most out of it. But it wasn't until I stepped back and realized that this is a valuable relationship that we've created. And the reason why they're not pushing it is because they don't want to put the relationship in, um, in a rocky place. And, and to me, it clicked um, when, when that happened. This, the third piece i was gonna say that oh, go ahead. this is why we really love our clients too i think we have uh the relationship that we we have with um a lot of our clients is is a lot closer i think than than yeah than, than many other agreed models yeah yeah ag- agreed and it it makes for at least from from our collective um uh view it makes for a much more enjoyable work environment you know we're not just coming in and cranking out tasks for an a an unknown client client. No, these are people that we care about. These are people that we've developed long relationships with and it makes the work much more enjoyable. Um, and it really the hurts third when, point you when brought certain up clients with, end <laughs> when certain it does end. not it necessarily does. And, for and, any reason, but yeah. And not, yeah, not necessarily from a revenue perspective. It's it's a loss of a relationship almost. It it is. It's it's difficult um, when that happens. There are there are still times that I think about um, spending time with with Hallmark and things that we did with them. It's I kind of reminisce about. It. I'm like, I miss that client. You know, I mm-hmm. I miss I really miss working with them. And um, it's the personal thing. It's the the relationships that we cultivated were were so enjoyable. Um, but you know, that's also part of the business, and you kind of move on to the next thing. But it's it's still difficult to to put personal feelings into it. But to me, it's it's part of the overall model that that we're cultivating. So anyway, the third thing that you brought up was around, you know, the the, the value piece, and that that really kind of is the driver of what we we do. And if if our model isn't to say, you know, client, we spent fifteen hours working on your project this week, then our model has to be highly highly focused on generating value for for our clients. And I think that's really what makes it great is that. That is our focus. And we're not thinking about, you know, can I fulfill the terms of the the hourly contract I have this week? Or can I get my utilization rate to a point where my boss isn't going to yell at me? It truly is. How can I drive value for, for my client this week? What things can I work on that can make what they're doing more, more profitable? And and I have the flexibility to do it in that, hey, I can pull in a, a gym. I can pull in a gen. I can pull in a Gila and it's just part of the project. We're not double or triple billing. We're just doing what we need to do to drive value for, for our clients. And it's a, it's a huge mind shift from, I just have to like focus on being highly efficient in my, in my hours that I'm billing. Now with, with this model. So, so some of the benefits you, you just mentioned there, you know, we're able to, you know, be very flexible, um, bring in people that we need to without, you know, say increasing the rate at which we're billing. 
when you're talking with prospects, I know this has happened. You know, what have been some of the, you know, talk about some of the times like you, you've gotten pushback from prospects that are just like, just give me a bucket of hours. That's what my finance team knows. That's what my boss knows. Just give me a bucket of hours. We really want to work with you. Countless examples. Yeah. <laughs> What's that? There's, there's more than a few examples. I think of this happening. There are lots of examples of, of this happening. Uh, in a few cases we've been, uh, we've been able to, in the short term, convince them that that didn't make sense. In the long term, it, they went back to what they knew. Uh, for the most part, e- even if there was some um, unease about the model for our longstanding client, that quickly eroded once we 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 got to work. Uh, but going back to those conversations, it's it's typically two different types of conversations. One's either a highly structured um, corporate policy that we work with lots of service companies and we have a set way that we're going to work and we're not going to change that for, for anybody. So um, for example, we had a, a prospect that fit into that bucket where that was the case. They said, Hey, we really want to work with you. We know some of the, the people that you have on your team. We highly respect them and want to work with them. Here's what our, our corporate team says about what we can do. Uh, we can buy a certain block of hours. The maximum hourly rate that we can pay for those hours is $160 an hour. And they had this whole process of how they could select a vendor. And I'd say, well, we don't work that way. So if you want to work with us, then that's not going to work. But they wanted to make it work so badly that the conversations would go like this. Well, can you kind of deduce how many hours this would take and then give me a blended rate that will fit into this? And there's just absolutely no way, right? There's there's no way we can take that and and try to fit it into that model. In fact, we've had that conversations with some existing clients in our first year or two of doing business where at you know an end of a quarter or towards the middle of a contract, they would say, "Can we get an accounting for the hours you spent?" I'm like, "Guys, are you are you serious? We you know we don't work that way." So to me, on the client side, that's a signal that maybe we weren't delivering the value that we promised. Up front on the sales side, it's typically it's it's more of an organizational thing. You know, our our procurement team has a set way that they hire service companies, and they're simply not going to change. And that, the second one is can I add yeah, go, jump in, John. I, I don't know if we're thinking yeah, yeah. the same example or not, but I mean we in, are. in one yeah. <laughs> in one case, uh, it's like a lot of the the stakeholders, you know, that we would have been dealing with totally understand the advantages of the model, but it, it was um, always the response, but my boss wouldn't go for it or something like that. And then uh, you know, even got to the level where um, had conversations with the boss who totally got it but then it was you know their boss that might not understand Mm -hmm. so yeah i think it was really indicative of of um just the corporate process that's uh very antiquated in in many ways and and very uh non-dynamic and just yeah it's not really yeah yeah yeah, yeah, it's 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 true. So from a from a stakeholder perspective, we're often able to tell the story of driving value and talking about how they can just work with us dynamically, and that whenever needed, we can jump in. And if the project slightly changes, we don't need to submit a train. Like all of that stuff is is music to their ears, and they're like, "Yes, I want this." 
And then one of two things happen. One, they take it to their boss who has to sign off and their boss is like, well, how are we going to measure what they do if they're not going to bill hours? No, we're not doing this. Um, that one, we have a much easier way of addressing, you know, let's pull your boss in. Let's talk about it. Let me, let me set up a client reference call with HBR and they can talk about how this works for them. We can erode that kind of fear from a, my boss doesn't know how to measure what you're doing if you're not billing hours. Where we've had about a 0% success rate is when it goes to procurement. And with some of these large companies, they have a very rigid procurement process. And again, they're, you know, 33 sticks. Who the hell are you guys? You know, this tiny little company based in Utah, we're not going to change our process for you. And if you want to work with us, because we're, you know, big and important, we have this big uh, recognizable brand name, then you're going to change the way you do things. You're going to change your billing structure. You're going to change how you submit hours. You're going to change your model. You're going to change all of that. And I think they're successful doing that one because um, running a massive company is incredibly difficult and having controls like that makes things a bit more streamlined. But two, I think most service companies do actually cave. I want brand, you know, XYZ on, on our website and be able to show their logo and say we work with them. And so, sure, you know, I'll, we'll change the way we work for you. But we've never done that. And I think that's caught a lot of these um, companies off guard. And, you know, recently within the past year, that's happened with a, a massive globally recognized brand where their procurement team said, nope, this is how you're going to work. This is how you're going to do it. And if you want to say you work with us, then you're going to change. And I said, well, if you want to say that you work with us, then you're going to change. We came to an impasse and I said, see you later. And they said, see you later. And and again, if if you're going to go down this path, you have to be comfortable with being picky that you're going to bring on the right customers for you. And your goal isn't high volume. Your goal isn't to win every deal. Your goal is only to win the right deals. Um, because again, if we were to cave to every company that said, well, you have to change your model to be hourly, or you have to somehow approximate hours, it would have eroded everything that we built. Um, and I guarantee you that probably Jim and John wouldn't be working here because it would have, it would have just decimated what 33 sticks is. And for me, it's simply not worth it. I was just going to say, yes, I agree. Right. Yes. So, I mean, no. you know, I, again, I could, I could, that was like I a could go on and yeah, yeah, boom. Can we splice that into the end? That, that was a, that was a good moment, but, um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, again, like I can talk on and on about the, 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 why, the reasons why I think this is amazing. I think our client list and our client testimonials and um, what you would hear from our clients helps to back up that this model is a breath of fresh air, is, is focused on the things that are important to them. Our, our, our employees are happier, I hope, working under this model. Um, it's, it's more of a long-term vision. We're able to be profitable doing it. Could we make more revenue as a company if we chose to go hourly and we chose to go high volume? I 100% think we could, but that shouldn't always be the measure, especially for private companies. It's okay to have different measures of success, revenue obviously being one of them and, and being a critical one. But once you reach a place where 
your cash flow positive and you're able to grow in a smart way, then there has to be other measures that you look at from a, from a success standpoint. And, and to me, we, we have those measures and, and we're successful in those, those measures in large part due to the model that we've chosen from a, from a billable perspective. And uh, again, it, it works well for us. That's not to say it, sh- it will work for, well for everybody. It won't. It's a very unique set of circumstances that for what we've chosen to create, this is the perfect model for us. And, and that's really all I can say about it. So I think you know, as far as to do like a, a quick wrap up on it, you know, I, what I'd like to do is quick go around the room and just say like you know, w- w- with this model, we've talked a lot about the benefits. We did, you know, we touched a bit on the challenges. Uh, you know, maybe they have everyone kind of think of like one benefit they see with it, you know, they, they personally, you know, have with it, but then also one challenge that they're dealing with. Cause Jason, you, you said it, it's not perfect. It's not for everybody. Um, what, what's at least one thing that, you know, you, you say struggle with or constantly working to, to refine. Um, so how's that sound? Let's do it. Why don't you kick us uh, off? All right, cool. So I, I think the, the one benefit, and I think Jason, you kind of mentioned it a bit, it, it it's the flexibility. It gives me the flexibility I need to get the job done with a client. So then the focus becomes the end result and a client walking away with something solid. So thinking of it from, from an engagement perspective, there, there's a great amount of flexibility. And I think it, it, it allows me to be better at my job. And I don't necessarily have to worry so much about Oh dear God! You know, and I need to spend say an extra ten hours doing this. How do I bring it up to the client? How do I bring it up to my boss? And do we have to stop things to get a new statement of work or some kind of extension in place? So that, that, that's definitely the benefit. The challenge, and I, th- I think it, it, it's still going to be one thing that we refine because Jason, you and I talk about it at least once a month, is planning, uh, specifically capacity planning, making sure that. Every client gets the 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 right level of touch um, based on the statement of work, um, the contract, and whatnot, um, and that uh, you know that, that's properly managed, especially when say multiple people are involved. So planning, it, it definitely it's it's not as cut and dry. I'll definitely take the benefits over it. You know, I'll take the benefits with it, um, and you know, and in fact, I'll t- you know take that challenge as well. Um, cause that challenge, the benefits far outweigh, you know, the, the difficulty with that particular kind of challenge. Yeah. For me, um, actually this boils down relatively easily for me. I, I feel like the challenge overall with consulting, at least for me has been, and to give some context, I, you know, probably worked client side longer than a lot of us, but the challenge for me was always feeling external, uh, you know, as a consultant, and I think when you bill hourly and have to track hourly, it only exemplifies that that problem. Uh, so really, the model of not having to bill hourly really changes the relationship I have with the work I do. Uh, and it makes me feel a lot more like a part of the, 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 the client's team. You know, it's just like generally, unless you're a contractor, um, you're as a full-time employee, you're usually not tracking hours. Uh, so I think 
not having to be there as a consultant is just allows us one step closer to actually feeling like being part of the team. And I think that feeling actually goes both ways as well. Yeah, agreed. For 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 me, I think the the biggest challenge is in educating a market that has known for so many years that buying services is akin to buying hours of of a person's time. And um I I really struggle with that. I have, you know, just a small voice um in a very l- large and and noisy marketplace and I I I really struggle uh, to figure out how to get that message out broader, um, how to continue to talk about the reasons why we do it. And even though there's often negative pushback when when I go down that path, um, it's something that I think is very important to figure out how to continue to struggle with that to provide education that there are options. And, and again, it's I'm not saying that this is the way that all service companies should should do it. It's not but it's an option and it should be respected as, as a valid option, just as valid as, as billable hours. The, the biggest pro to me is that I get to work with people like, like John, like Jim, uh, like Jen, like Hila. And not only that, I get to hear from at least one person a week that I respect that wants to come work at 33 sticks. And the reason why I think that is the case is that, um, at, at heart, we're craftspeople, and we we like to see the fruits of our labors. And when we're under a billable model, oftentimes the joy of producing a product that has meaning and beauty and value is lost. But in this model, it it's not. And I think that's the reason why our clients are attracted to us. And I think that that's the reason why people like Jim and John are attracted to working at 33 sticks. And that's the biggest pro for me is that I get to work with so many amazing people that are, are coming together around this concept of actually creating good. Thank you. It, it's a lot of fun to work under this model. Um, it, it, I think it allows us to really focus on doing a job well done and not so much on how many hours were billed, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So I think with that, we'll go ahead and wrap up uh, for this week, and we'll talk to everybody later. Thanks, Jim. Great topic. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of 33 Tangents. If you enjoyed what you heard, please rate and review the show on your favorite podcast aggregator so others can find us. If you would like to reach us, you can do so by emailing podcast at 33sticks.com or on the web at 33tangents.33sticks.com. 33 Tangents is a production of 33 Sticks, an analytics boutique.